Hello, and welcome to Resurrections, an Adam Warlock podcast, episode 3. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and in this episode, we'll be starting to cover Adam's second set of appearances, beginning with Thor 163 this time, and going through to Thor 166 in episode 6. Before we get started with our actual story, I just want to go over real quick some of the main characters that are going to appear in this issue for anyone who might not be familiar with them. Okay, first off, we have Thor, obviously the main character and title character of this book. Thor is the Asgard Norse god of thunder from Asgard. He's basically like Superman-type character, and you probably have seen the movie, even if you've never read his comic, you've probably seen either the movie Thor, Thor to the Dark World, or Avengers. So, that guy. Sif is currently Thor's girlfriend. She is a warrior goddess from Asgard. I don't believe she actually has any mythological basis. I believe she's a creation of Marvel Comics. And she also has appeared in Thor and Thor the Dark World, and also recently in the TV show Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Odin is Thor's father, the all-father and ruler of Asgard and the most powerful of the Asgardian gods. Galactus is a cosmic creature from the Marvel Universe who basically is older than the universe itself and exists by uh, draining the life of planets and absorbing it. So basically, he eats planets. And is considered one of the most powerful and dangerous creatures in the Marvel Universe. And finally, Pluto is the Greek, not Norse, but Greek god of the underworld. And in the Marvel Universe is a pretty bad guy. And usually is scheming to take over the Earth or uh, Olympus or Asgard. Or all three. He's kind of a jerk. Thor 163, Where Dwell the Demons, produced by Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby, inking Vince Coletta, lettering Sam Rosen, cover arts by Jack Kirby, the cover date for this book was April 1969, but the actual release date is February 4th, 1969, and the cover price was originally a whopping 12 cents. Alright, so we start off, Thor is in New York, we assume, looking for his girlfriend, the Lady Sif. He senses evil in the city and looks down from the building he is standing on to see a military convoy driving through the streets, telling everyone to stay indoors. Deciding that the convoy must be going wherever Sif is, he flies to the front of the convoy as it arrives at its destination. The military is investigating some type of energy barrier where the city atomic research center once stood. Thor decides this must have attracted the attention of Sif, and that is confirmed by the men investigating the site. He attempts to enter the barrier, but is unable to do so. Meanwhile, on Asgard, Odin is concerned with Galactus, and is sent for his Keeper of Antiquities to learn more about Galactus' origin. According to the Keeper, they don't have any more information on Galactus than what Odin has, apparently, recently learned. This is a plot thread that I don't believe we will learn much more of before we are done with these Thor issues. Sorry, so you want to learn more about this, you're going to have to find more reprints of uh, was it Thor 167 and up. Back on Earth, Thor and the military see humanoid shapes behind the barrier, and before they can do anything, these shapes reach through the barrier and pull Thor in. The military open fire, but it's too late. Inside the barrier, the creatures who pull Thor in identify themselves as mutates and attempt to kill him. The mutates are humanoid but with large elf-like ears, bulbous white eyes, large noses, and sharp teeth. Their hands are also large, with long, unkept nails, almost like claws. 
Thor easily beats the three who pulled him in, but then is faced with their leader, who is even larger than the others, and holds Sif captive using Attractospheres. Thor battles the leader until the leader flees and rescues Sif. Looking upon the world they now find themselves in, Sif describes it as, "'Tis a bleak and barren world of woe, containing mammoth caverns, wherein countless weapons lie rotting, as though to mock their long-dead makers." Investigating further, they discover the remains of a museum which has among its leftover exhibits an atomic soldier from the Second Atomic War and a poster from the Committee of Scientists asking for a stopping to the nuclear bombing and showing how humanity is being turned into mutates. Thor and Sif then realize that they are not on another world, but in the future. Going on, they find the missing Atomic Research Center, which Thor assumes must have been pulled into the future by the same barrier he went through. Seeing a man standing out front of the buildings, they fly down to meet him. The man, who is bald and wearing sunglasses and a trench coat, tells Thor that he knew Thor would enter his time tunnel. Using the captured Sif, he just had to wait for Thor to enter his trap. Thor recognizes the man's voice, who identifies himself as Pluto, Lord of the Underworld. Thor and Sif move to attack, but are frozen mid-step by Pluto. Pluto then monologues about how he'd been planning, plotting, and scheming since their last encounter, until he uses Great Eterna Screen to view the future. Seeing the mutates hunt down humans gives him an idea. He first goes to Earth and moves the Atomic Research Center to the future, as it somehow poses a threat to him. By this point, Thor and Sif are able to move again, but before they can reach Pluto this time, they are blasted unconscious by him. The mutates come up and ask Pluto if they can now attack the 20th century, and Pluto responds yes, as Thor and Sif are now out, and by the time they recover it will be too late, just as it's too late for the mysterious being who is asleep inside the research center. The last three panels show room in the research center, with a metal container inside. The container opens, and inside is revealed to be the top of what looks like a cocoon. And in case you're wondering who's in the cocoon, here's a hint. It looks the same as the cocoon we saw in Fantastic Four 66 and 67, or episodes 1 and 2 here. And the second hint is, well, who's the topic of the podcast? Okay, so we read the story, so let's go over it. First of all, we have the cover. It's a nice cover with Pluto really big on the cover and in the center. Uh, we only really see the back of Thor and Sif's heads, and only about uh, half of each head because they're in the bottom corners. So it's kind of like a POV shot of us as being Thor or Sif. Okay, and on page one, we have a really sweet splash page by Kirby of Thor standing on a building. And now, I'm assuming I must have missed something at the end of issue 162, from not reading it, because I'm not sure why Thor really thinks there's a danger for Sif on Earth. I mean, is he just generally paranoid, or did something? was he given, you know, some warning before he came to Earth? So on page 2, granted, once Thor sees the armored convoy racing through the streets, then he has a reason to be concerned about danger. And I'm amused that the military is basically enforcing martial law due to this event. But nowadays in the Marvel Universe, especially in New York, weird stuff happens all the time and it's just treated as normal. So I'm wondering what point in time did the citizens of the Marvel Universe get so used to this weird stuff they stopped treating all these events like disasters. And on page 4, Thor actually gets confirmation from the soldiers that Sif was involved with this mysterious barrier. I'm pretty impressed. I'm not really sure how we came to the conclu- theory that Sifla was involved with this was, but he at least gets proof. 
page 5. Loving the Kirby artwork here on Asgard and Odin. And seeing Asgard in space makes me think of where they went with it in the Thor movies. So far, I'm pretty impressed and happy with this issue, so let's see how long that lasts. Alright, page 10. Attractospheres? First off, how does Sif even know what kind of technology the mutants are using? And how did she know they're from another time? She says, Have a care. They are truly demons. Demons from out of time. How does she know this? I mean, maybe she picked it up while she was captive, but afterwards, they don't give any reason for you to guess that that's how she knows these things. She just knows them because she knows them. Page 14 has another impressive Kirby splash page of the desolated landscape. And I like the fact that, again, like in Fantastic Four from last episode, it seems to go on and on. And in fact, also Thor and Sif are only really small on one little part of it. Okay, page 15, we're now inside the museum. And as much as I've loved Kirby's artwork in this issue, I'm laughing a bit at the uniforms showed inside the museum for the Atomic Soldier from Atomic War 2. Not the second Atomic War, Atomic War 2. So anyway, the soldiers have weird, oversized, rounded helmets that cover their entire head, except for the mouth and chin. And a gun that Cable from the X-Men would have found too big to use that appears to be attached to their crotch. Okay, so the soldiers, they actually look like uh, Marvel aliens called the Regillians. So if you read any Marvel Cosmic stuff, you probably recognize Regillians' name at least. And I'm going to try and see if I can find a picture of them to put on the blog page for this episode. And as for their giant guns attached to their crotches, all I know is I would never use it because I'd be friggin' terrified of the recoil. Page 18. Pluto just has to monologue. I have to admit, he does look pretty creepy, especially on panel 2. Those eyebrows need to be trimmed like crazy. And I'm also loving the names that Stan comes up with, even though I find some of this... uh. I guess scientific conventions, goofy or at least just convenient for the plot. But Attractospheres, Aeternus Screen, those are great names. Right, page 19. At first, when I was reading this, I thought Pluto was stupid to lure Thor in. But upon rereading it, it does make sense. He wants to get rid of Thor before he invades Earth. And if he gets rid of Thor in this future time period, he can stay and recoup his power before invading Earth. If he waited until he after he defeated the 20th century, to go after Thor, even if he did beat Thor, he'd probably been weak enough for the, you know, mortals to defeat him. And I'm sure that's something that no god ever wants. And finally, we now get to page 20. And I have to give Pluto credit. He does monologue. But when Thor and Sif are able to attack again, he attacks first. He's prepared for when they attack. And they are knocked out. So, way to go, villain. Overall, I definitely like this issue. I have to say, while there still was some goofiness and stuff that seemed off in this issue, I think there's actually a lot stronger issue than uh, Fantastic Four 66 and 67. I mean, while those are usually hailed as, like, you know, Stanley and Jack Kirby at the height of their work, I actually have to wonder if maybe the Thor stories, once they really got the Thor mythology going in the book, is what actually was their top stuff. Now, if you'd like to read this issue and you aren't able to get your hands on an original copy, there are a few ways that you can still read this. If you don't mind it being in black and white, you can always pick up a copy of The Essential Thor, Volume 3, which does reprint this issue. 
they're usually pretty cheap. The master essentials, you do find them for about 15 to 20 bucks, and a lot of times if you go to a convention, even for less. If you want a slightly nicer version, you can pick up the Marvel Masterwork Thor Volume 8. Uh, these are hardcover and in full color, and you're going to probably pay about 40 to 50 bucks unless they've gone up in price, but that's generally the standard price for them. And finally, if you want it on digital, I don't see it available digitally legally. There's, of course, the illegal way of getting stuff, or you can sign up for the Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited website, and you can read it on there, which is how I've read it. For anyone who didn't know, Jim Starlin recently did an interview on Newsarama regarding Adam Warlock and Thanos due to the fact that the Thanos Annual and original graphic novel have just recently been announced to come out this year. Links to this interview can be found on my Tumblr page. So anyway, in the interview, real quick, Starlin does talk about uh, his use of Thanos and Adam Warlock and also about the annual coming out in May and the original graphic novel. So the way he talks about it, it sounds like Adam is actually going to be part of the annual and the original graphic novel. So as long as he is, I will be covering it on the show. Based on the release date, which I believe is the end of May, for the annual, I'm planning on having episode 9 be about the Thanos annual. I'd like to mention for anyone who's in the New Jersey area that the Asbury Park Comic Con is coming up on April 12th and 13th this year at the Berkeley Hotel and Asbury Park. Uh, they're having a costume contest judged by Brian O'Hallorhan from Clerks and Mike and Ming from Comic Book Men on AMC. They also are having several guests, including Jim Steranko, Chris Claremont, J.H. Williams III, Evan Dorkin, Bob Camp, Brian Johnson, Ming Chen, Jim Salakrup, Dennis Kitchen, and Alex Nino, among others. Again, that is April 12th and 13th of this year, 2014, at the Berkeley Hotel in Asbury Park, New Jersey, obviously. Uh, check out more information at asburyparkcomiccon.com. As I said before, we have a show email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com, and we actually have an email on there, so I'm going to read that out now. Uh, email comes from Keith Mason with the heading, Just Wanted to Say. Well done. I have been interested in your podcast ever since you announced it on Facebook and enjoy both the Zero episode and episodes one and two. Adam Warlock is a fascinating character, and like many obscure and underused characters, easy to transform into something compelling. I'm enjoying your synopsis and commentary, and happy to see each new episode being uploaded. Having many of the Warlock appearances, I'm rereading them just before each episode to enhance the experience, and I'm looking forward to where it goes from here. Keep up the good work. Keith Monkey Mason Well, Keith, thank you very much for your email and for the kind words. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Um, I'd say I agree with you. Like Adam Warlock, like many obscure, unused characters, it's very easy to transform into something interesting, especially if not much is done with them. And obviously, as we saw from last episode in Fantastic Four 67, not much really was done with Adam. In fact, he only got a one-page appearance, actual appearance. So they pretty much can do anything they want right now. And I promise for anyone who's not read these Thor issues before... More will be done with Adam. He does get a lot more screen time over over the next few issues before we're done with the store run. Not just one page. He's going to get at least a good issue or two of appearing in most of the books. So we will get plenty of them, and at least he will get some characterization. Not enough. I do believe more of it's actually going to come, of course, 
from the Roy Thomas run when he starts him in, I believe it's Marvel Premiere. But at least we'll get more of him right now. But again, Keith, thank you very much for the words, kind words, and I'm hoping the podcast continues to live up to your expectations and enjoyment. And if anyone else wants to be have their email read on the show and hear their name, just send an email in, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. His name is Oliver Queen. For five years, he was stranded on an island with only one goal, podcast, I mean, survive. Now he will fulfill his father's dying wish and bring down those who are poisoning his city. My name is Reese Park. And I am Lee Busby. I am Dean Hill. And my name is Sundra J.F. And we are The Undertaking. Like most criminal organizations in comics nowadays, we have turned good and we plan to tackle one episode of the new season of Arrow each week. Join The Undertaking at theundertakingpodcast.podomatic.com or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Arrow The Undertaking. And also on iTunes. All right, that's it for another episode. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening. And I also like to thank a few websites because that's where pretty much I get most of my information from. So also, this is to give credit to them and blame in case anything's wrong. It's their fault, not mine. Blame them. <laughs> anyway, so thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. You can find them at dcindexes.com. Comic Book Database. You can find that at com- comicbookdb.com. And the complete Marvel reading order, which you can find at cmro.travis-starns.com. All right, and that's it. I'll be back on April 1st with Thor 164, where we'll get more Thor and Sif versus the Mutates and Pluto. See you next time, guys. Bye. Adam Warlock and all of the characters appearing in this issue of Thor number 163 are copyrighted Marvel Comics and are owned by Marvel Comics. I make no claims of ownership over them. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at PeaceLoveProductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. I'm loving the Kirby artwork here on Asgard and Odin and seeing Asgard in space makes me think of how they did Thor decides that this must have attracted the attention of Sif and it is yeah.
and there's links to this interview on on the site. So, hmm.